Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their man. lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Let me tell you what, Marcus, I am super fired up this time, this show. And let me tell you why. It's not because I'm always fired up. It's not because I'm just super positive. It's because I truly love a person that becomes a master at what they do. That gets me excited. And today's guest is in that realm of performance, brother. So are you feeling it? Because I know when I told you about it, you got super fired up too. I remember you're like, hey, he's coming on. I was like, oh, he's cool, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? You would get a guy and be like, oh, he's cool, dude. No, no, I, it was funny. Hey, I, you don't need to say anything. I'm like, man, I got I texted cool the dude, wizard, man. dude, when, it, when, when, when I confirmed him, and he's like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He's cool. Right? He's cool, dude. <laughs> he's super cool, man. And, and All right, but we'll get to that in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I want to thank you for coming to the Team Never Quit podcast with me. David Rutt Rutherford and Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. We're super proud to have you listening. If you're a first-time listener, our mission on this show is to teach you how to face adversity, overcome obstacles, and learn the never quit mindset. Because great stories ignite legends. And that's what we do. We bring on some of the most incredible people that are out there, that are in all walks of life, whether it's a master craftsman, an incredible politician, a great sports uh, sports figure and artist, whoever it is, or our military personnel, we bring people on that are that are here to help you. If you want to know more exactly why, about why Marcus and I are doing this, please visit our website, www.tnqpodcast.com. That's tnqpodcast.com. And while you're there, go on over to the teamneverquit.com website and check out our list of speakers that we have all the team never quit speakers check out the merchandise we've got some incredible t-shirts and other paraphernalia that can you can help support the team uh but the reason why marcus why we do this what would you say is the main reason because everyone's experiences may be different right oh. but the solutions to get through those experiences if you back it up far enough are usually are generally the same and if we get enough people on here from different walks of life to get in different experiences and get through it man then we give you a little lesson on how to to push through something you might be going through right now well that was awesome yeah. i think you get he's getting it down too wizards looking at us both like wait a minute are you guys reading off the script hey, now? you remember uh, <laughs> uh during old school when will was up on the stage during the bait <laughs> And that's how you debate. <laughs> I should have went, oh. What just happened? <laughs> that literally just happened, by the way. Love you, Will Ferrell. Yeah, Love you, Will Ferrell. Oh, all right. So, well, all right, welcome to the show. All right. This one's going to be a lot of fun because we have the man himself, Jesse James, master uh, motorcycle builder, craftsman, uh, firearm manufacturer from Austin, Texas. I mean, the guy is the, the modern definition of cool, isn't he? Man, you, you got to appreciate the fact that if you see something in his head, he wants to go out and then make that happen. I mean, I look at a picture of something, man, try and draw it. It does not look like that. No, you shouldn't draw. No, no, <laughs> I, no I mean, there's just a couple of things, right? <laughs> I was going to say, were you one of my sniper instructors? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to carry a camera all the time, you know? I mean, I'll not. bracket it. Uh, right, but I mean, even if someone throws an idea in his head or if he has one, man, he can just go out and, and, make and replicate it, it. Right, and make it work. 
and make it work well, too. Right. And that's what the cool part about having him on, and I can't wait to get in there. But before we do... Make it work well enough to where other people want it. And want it badly. And want it, and will pay for it at oh. that level. I mean, the guy is a master craftsman. He's an artist, and that's amazing. But before we get to Jesse, as as if you're a first time listener, if you've been back, you know we got to start with either you know some kind of fun thing that Marcus either going to do, try and stump each other. But today we're going to do a historical story uh, about another master craftsman, and 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 Marcus has a unique uh, perspective on this that he'll share. Well, the master craftsman in in history that has played a huge role in American design is a guy by the name of Carol Hall Shelby. Now, you know him from his his impeccable designs and incredible vehicles, the Shelby Cobra Super Snake, the Ford GT40, and the Dodge Viper, along with the Mustang GT350. Now, this American automotive designer, a racing pioneer and entrepreneur, is best known probably for his involvement with the Cobra, right? And later the Mustang. But he's also been around racing for a very long time. Coming out of Texas, Leesburg, Texas, where he's been, and I know you're pretty fired up about that. Yeah. Well, this guy is unique because he, you know, his entire life he faced health issues, right? He had a heart uh, leakage and a heart failure, but it didn't stop him. He was focused and he wanted to do well. He went on to graduate in Dallas from the Georgia School of Technology. He then enlisted in the Army Air Corp and served as a flight instructor and a test pilot, which was, by the way, a little nuts if you ask me back in World War II. Great job. (laughs) Mom, test pilot. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go get in something. Test, test what? <laughs> um, I'm the guy that tests the season for flies. <laughs> I mean, well, can't you test the season has gas? Awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, guess what? Like those e, uh, not EOD guys. They're crazy, too. The the NDU. Uh, not to say that right, either. NDU. The, the skydive guys? NDU. Thank the, you. Yeah. Naval Experimental Dive Unit. When, um, they, when they put the probe up our ass and make us pedal in the hot water. Y'all ever do that? It's a blast. Listen, that, that? That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's SDV, brother. That's why none of us wanted to go there. <laughs> no, you don't want me to explain it at all, actually. Wizard, you do not want to know the details of that little fun job. I, I mean, I wasn't any DU. I mean, but we do the Mark 16 down there, right? And you, them guys are running around in the yellow shirts. And I, it's, uh, man, just some of the stories you hear out of there because of the, the amount of diving we do and to test the limits. I mean, they write the, the Navy dive manual for a reason, right? We don't really apply to that. You know, we'll push it. Like I had an AGE. Well, they try and right. So it out. used to be if you had an AGE while you were in the military, that was done. You were out. You're done. Yeah. Well, I had one uh, two weeks later. Get back online, boy. You know, <laughs> yes, sir. Roger that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so SDVs, man, we push those limits, and the Brits are real good at this, too, pushing the limits of those dive tables and just what exactly it is capable of. And, uh, man, those are the guys who get pushed over to NEDU to, 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 take, to do that testing. Hats off to them, man, because thinking a test pilot's crazy. You, well, you're you start, taking you're, something the design isn't confirmed. You don't know where the real limits well, what's are. What's going to do the body, or what it's? And, and I mean, and that's you, you're risking life but, and death. Yeah, you're talking about the inside and your gas and laws and atoms and all that stuff like that. You don't want to start messing with. You that. don't want to mess with that. How, how did that AGE feel, by the way? Man, I was jocked up. I was head to toe jocked up. And when I came out, it was on. We were on a sub. We were doing sub ops. And when I locked back in, I had to crawl down. Uh, I was crawling down past the mess deck into the torpedo tube. And uh, the the master diver was there. He's a doc. He's like, hey, Latrell, look like you had one hell of a ride. It got a little bumpy, needless to say. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I hit the side of the submarine. Long story. But my my uh, my uh, my elbow was hurting. I was like, ah, I think I, I got jammed in between the submarine and the SDV as we were plummeting down to our death. <laughs> that was a crazy, crazy event. But anyways, he goes, well, strip. I was in the in the mess deck. Man. Yeah, there were people in there eating chow and whatnot, and I and right there by that little ladder, I was still standing by the hellhole. Right, and I got my my uh, H gear off, my web and all that stuff. Then I I got down to my uh, three two one, and it started running up my arm. And I was like, well, you know, kind of. And I'm a medic, you know. Yeah, man. When, oh, yeah, when you yeah. start knowing the symptoms of you, what's going on? You're like, damn, man, that's not good. <laughs> and I got down to my dive skin, and I, I was pulling that thing off, man. And he he's like, uh, how do you feel? I was like, I, Peel pine, peel pine. I peel pine. <laughs> yeah. And you, when you're trying not to say it, and uh, you can't. And he says, uh, crouch down and, and duck, take a couple of duck walk steps. And I, when I crouched down, I passed. Dude, check this out, man. This is how Doc, Doc Dirks, man. I love you. Colin Dirks is a doctor in Georgia right now. I've passed out and fell into the hellhole. 
and was going down. I mean, I had another six flights of submarine to go to. <laughs> he grabbed me by the foot and pulled me back up and then threw me up on his shoulder and crawled me back up for five flights of um, the, the, ladder, yeah, yeah. the ladder up back into the into the trunk and threw me in the chamber. And I was in the chamber. Man, I, was like, oh, I was in there forever, man. That, I had a bubble in my spine and my brain. And uh, that's what's wrong with me, guys. If y'all ever want, um, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot, more, there's a lot more than the bubble right. in your spine and so, brain. I mean, I was. I came to about six, seven hours later, and then I and they were like, "Hey, you, you feeling good?" I'm like, "Yeah, I feel great, man." So they tried to bring me up to death, and I was like, eh, you know, I just got crap the bed. <laughs> right back out, man. <laughs> and the problem was, we were where we were at the, the closest hospital was on a mountain, so they were worried if they take me out of uh, out of the bubble and they'll put me back in it when they go when I'm, we're going up to right. atmosphere. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And uh, that's a long explanation. People just trust me. It's not, not pleasant. So man, six months, I lost like 30 pounds. I, I was in bad shape, man. Morgan got, it was on my birthday and, uh, Morgan flew out there. And then, uh, I remember my platoon went on a, on a training trip. And when they got back, I was helping them offload the pier and I just integrated back in just, I didn't go get a follow-up or anything. You know, well, we don't do that. Right. 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 Uh, but man, as much time as we spend underwater and the things that we can, you guys know that, man, it's, uh, we, we test them dive tables and what the body's uh, capable of. You know, you think you can't sit still and not talk to yourself for a couple of minutes, man, 10 hours. In a, in um, a chamber. Me and JJ be underwater, oh, you know, just kind of just not saying a word, just not talking to yourself, bro. That's epic. <laughs> that's epic. Well, back to Carol. <laughs> back to Carol Shelby. Who is a guy that definitely put his life on the line, and you know he started as a as a racer, right? And and this guy has done amazing things on and off the track. But I think where really a, a shift in his life came when he was racing uh, in in the twenty four hour Le Mans, and and he looks over his shoulder and he and and he sees this car. He says, "Hey, that AC Bristol looks like a really great little sports car." Later, that British Roadster would gain a big-ass American V8 and become one of the greatest sports cars to ever represent the Stars and Stripe. So this is a guy that was in, the, in, you know, in that explorative place in his life of really testing the bounds of creativity, of excitement, and out of all that, of living his purpose, living it out, all of a sudden he finds this, this brilliance in himself to go into car design. And, and to really set forth and become a master at what he does. Because, Marcus, I mean, and you know this personally. I mean, you have one. When you when you look at the style and the lines and the artistic, uh, you know, integrity behind his craftsmanship, I mean, it's impeccable. What what how, what do you think? Oh, it's I mean? still the test of time. Still around. Amen. I mean, and he's passed. I'll tell you something right there. They keep doing it. And it's a big deal. I, here's the deal. When you're <laughs> talking about the... The Mustang world, Mustang owners are proud Mustang owners, so I got to be real careful how we navigate through. If because I am not a real Ford Mustang owner because I have a little modifications on mine. Right, right, right. <laughs> I've actually met somebody who has the, the an original '67 all the way down, and uh, ran to him at a car show. So yeah, I got a chance, like we said, I, to meet uh, Mr. Shelby in right. La Jolla. I was just kind of bebopping around back in the day when we were in the teams, and, yeah. and uh, he I plopped in there and threw the Texas thing down. He and that was a lot of fun. But my brother and I had a bet when we were uh, young boys. When we turned 40, whoever, whoever was the wealthiest twin, the other twin had to buy him the car of his choice. Well, mine was the 67 Shelby. Right. And you got a hand to my brother, man. He's been working on this. Uh, we both coming up and planning for it. Yeah. And uh, there was a show called Overhauling. And Chip Foose, man, magnificent man. The whole ATM, those guys. And Chip Foose, designer. Good Lord, we could have done it about him. Carol Shelby or Chip. Right. So my brother rolled a 1967 Shelby chassis in there, right? And frame. Yeah. And then they went to work. So it's, I own a, a one of a kind brand new 1967 GT350 26 Shelby Foose Mustang. So <laughs> I got a chance to meet Mr. Foose and Mr. Shelby and have a Mustang from both of them, man. And from the love of my brother and the love of everybody else uh, uh, getting that for me, man. I, I mean, I connected to him long time ago and it's it's deep there's something in those those mustangs define kind of who you are it's american hot rod right i mean you when somebody rolls up in one you look at that mustang you tell a lot about that person and uh, that's the unique thing about it and over time and if you you know about the mustang when they go to change the design on that mustang people freak out they do i mean that's a big deal man <laughs> you're talking about dna of the baby 
what are you doing, man? Don't mess with me. <laughs> mess with a good thing. And uh, I, I'm an old school mus- muscle kind of Mustang guy. And right. that, defi- that car defines me, is, uh, every part about it. And that's 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 a cool thing about hot rods, man. And, and those in the sports cars, you, you have your everyday car, man. But when you want everyone to, to look at you to see what you're about, that's when you roll up in one of those. And the cool part about... Uh, Chip building mine, man. So he built Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds. Right. So Nick has Eleanor. We'll have Melanie. So they're the same car, but the mods are different. And Nick, I can't wait to go to the line with you, bro. <laughs> There's a call out right, right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the guy, check it. We were talking about your place and kind of history, man. The car's still around. You got guys like us talking about it, talking yeah. about his name, you know, and I got a chance to meet him, but a lot of people who own most things haven't. Right. And it's that impact that he had at that place at that time to be different. Say, man, I think I got an idea. As a master craftsman. Yeah, and And, Jesse does that. And Jesse does that. And that's why it's awesome to be able to bring on Jesse James of West Coast Choppers fame, now of Jesse James Firearm. So, man, let's get him on the show. Marcus, let me tell you something. As a as a as a, a motorcycle rider, as a wannabe craftsman, as a person that has literally uh, followed this dude's career, man, uh, on on in the news and on TV, I can't even tell you how fired up I am, brother. Are you? How? Oh. Absolutely. I, I, man, just when you came out and told us that he was coming on the other day, man, I was excited. I was like, man, let's just get to that one. Well, well I, you told that immediate story about the being at the drag races and being like, oh, I've been trying to meet this guy. But this, and that doesn't happen. You know, I'm not going to like, That ain't you, yeah. dude. I didn't want to say run after him. That'd be a little weird one. Jesse, yeah. Jesse. Well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'd love to welcome Mr. Jesse James to the show. Jesse, thanks for coming on, brother. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So the way we always get things rolling on on our show is is we we like to get a little warm up going and and just and so we're not going to warm up our bodies because we're all getting old and tired, but we're going to warm up our gray matter up upstairs. So what we do is Jesse, we start out with a kind of a fun mad minute. Well, Marcus and I'll go back and forth, ask you some funny questions, just whatever pops into your head. Throw it out there, and and, and and let's just have some fun. So are you ready for the Mad Minute, bro? Yeah, let's go. All right, go ahead, Marcus. You want to lead us off, bud? Yeah, I always start with favorite superhero. Ghost Rider. <laughs> nice. Of course, of course it's Ghost Rider. <laughs> of course it is. Oh, I love man, it. I should have just had that written down already, dude. Second favorite is Sabretooth. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, yep. Well, you're, uh, Jesse, you got to understand, Marcus, we actually have a, a giant Spider-Man sitting behind Marcus. So, uh, you know, superheroes play a pivotal role in, on this show for sure. That's awesome. I was a total comic book kid growing up. Right? I mean, come on. Like, superheroes don't die. They don't ever break their code. You know what I'm talking Well, these days they got superheroes That's fighting right. each other, but... <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe they're figured, doing that. I figured Marcus would be more of a Judge Dredd fan. <laughs> I didn't. I, you know what? I didn't get introduced to him till later in life. My first, the, yeah. You know how that works, man. That that jingle, that tone, that first cartoon. It was Spider Man. So that's I was hooked ever since. You got to get the look at the older Judge Dredd that was done by Simon Beasley, like in the early nineties. That's oh. the best stuff. Yeah, my, it's the my, most violent, best artwork, best. Yeah, and they redid that, too. All right, next question. Here we go. Should Texas be its own country? I thought it already was, kind of. <laughs> right? Republic. Yes. There you go. <laughs> oh, this guy. oh yeah. Well, Except for well, Austin's a little liberal, but other than that, it kind of does its own thing. And, you know, it's pretty independent from the BS of everywhere else, I think. Oh, man, we have a whole show on Texas. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah, yeah we we'll do that. We'll, do that. Yeah. we'll bring on the all the the, the, the Texas highlights yeah, out there. This might be common knowledge, but what was your first car? Mine? Yeah, it was a uh, 1960 American Rambler or like a Nash Rambler. And do you do you own it now? Did you go back and get it? No, no. I traded. I traded it for a bike. Traded oh. for a shovelhead. Nice. When I was like when I was 16, so. All right, all right. If you could pick any person now in history 
throughout whatever to go and 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 have a couple drinks with who would that person be uh god i don't know that's a tough one you know probably Ernest hemingway oh that'd be epic (laughs) you're a man after my own heart brother absolutely good answer that's an awesome answer. Call me in the door, dude. Because I was coming out with Han, Han Solo or Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Han Solo. He's the outlaw. should put Vader in He's there. He's the outlaw. All right. All right. If, and this is my final question for you. If you could be president for a day, what's the one thing you would do? Sign over the U.S. Mint into my name. <laughs> we had a, a dude on the show matt best who uh who's from you know this article 15 company he's a badass ranger and he said uh i would create an international incident <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome. awesome it is awesome all right marcus you got one more for him bud elvira or june cleaver Oh, Elvira. She's rad. I've met her before, and she's a super cool lady. Really? Oh, <laughs> that yeah. is, you, you threw yourself in that one. How'd you know he met her, too? Yeah. Well, and that, that, think about the Elvira June Cleaver, because some guys you don't know. I mean, they. Oh, I, you know I like I mean? June Cleaver. June Cleaver's, because those are the ones that get you. <laughs> you watch out for her. Oh, June, June Cleaver was like an acting role that, that I don't even remember the original name. I don't even that term. <laughs> That's it. But, Elvira, I, I don't even know, I forget her real name, but she's totally Elvira. Like all the you know shows up in full makeup and full costume, and she's like really Elvira. I love it. That is cool. She made the commitment early on, and that's her personality. That, I, I dig that, man. That is cool. That's total commitment right there. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for playing the Mad Minute with us. We we fun. always that is good, man. We mad ten minutes. Oh, I love it. We get the best <laughs> answer. It is all right. So, yeah. so let's get to the meat and potatoes of the show. And and you know, people come to our podcast because they want to hear people. They want to hear their greatest never quit story. They want to feel inspired. They want to know that in the adversity they're facing, no matter whatever it is, whether it's their personal life or professional life, they come here to find that commonality amongst all of us, what what drives us to succeed. So, Jesse, man, can you share with our listeners your greatest never quit story, please? Uh, I don't know. You know, that's a funny subject because so many people... You know, obviously, Marcus has probably one of the greatest never quit stories ever. But I think, you know, gosh, people hit me up for advice all the time of, of like, you know, how do you keep going? How do you? And I think, you know, I think the greatest never quit stories are just every day. Nice. You know, for for regular people, getting your ass out of bed, putting your boots on, going to work doing a good job, coming home, being a good dad, being a good father, that, you know, to do that stuff day in and day out, it takes a lot out of people. And I think, you know, I don't know. Is is I told him you'd say that. <laughs> you, yeah, you did. You, I mean, you grew up similar to the way I did. And it's one of them deals where it's, it's you know, uh, it may not be some, may not be, it may not be some big spectacular uh, story, you know, but it's, I just, I have so many, like the first time I went to Iraq in May of 2003, you know, a month after we invaded, they didn't, I contacted the USO they didn't have any idea who I was, but I was getting letters and contact, you know, from guys that were friends that were special forces and, and, uh, Marsoc guys. And I was like, man, I want to go over there, you know, and just like show my appreciation so I lied. I paid for my own way, and I lied and said I was Kid Rock's tour manager. <laughs> Have you told and, Kid that? I bet he loved that story. And, like, <laughs> all these people, like, I, Wayne Newton, who was on the thing, and and he knew who I was and uh, because he was on Monster Garage, but nobody else, all the, like, USO people, like, who is this guy? What does he do? He's, like, a welder? You know, and like all the proud American, he's proud American. Like all, and Bobby and I went around to like all the transportation divisions and all, you know, all over Baghdad and saw these guys. And you know, I think that was you know because I could easily said, oh well, I'm not famous enough. They don't know who I am, so forget it. But I like 
persevered and said, you know what, F you, I'm going to, I'm going to lie and get over there anyway, you know, which I don't think not a lot of people lie to sneak into Iraq. No. <laughs> you know, like, well, that's commitment there, brother. Well, I, you really I'm, wanted to support yeah, the troops, you know, man. Just, I mean, hopefully, you like, know, and, yeah. And then the same thing in 2005, when I went, you know, this, we, I got, I know some people in defense department got my full defense department clearance to go over there and film and do whatever I want. And they, uh, did it and then discovery channel threatened to fire me. <laughs> and so I just like, I paid for it myself and went and went and made like a behind the scenes under the guise of monster garage, but showed like all the positive things, which was like a lot of 20 year old kids, you know, especially in like the 181st transportation division, you know, whenever there was, it, we landed on election day in 2005, which was a terrible time to go. And yeah. because of the violence and terrible, especially because, you know, the war was like not, no USO tours were going there. No, no one was going to boost morale. It was totally out of favor and everybody was anti, but you know, here's 20 year old kids over there busting ass to try to, they're, they're at work. That's their job. They're, they don't have a choice to like not go out and pick cars up off the roads that got hit by IEDs and stuff like that. And to go over there and like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go there and shake their hand and, and hang out with them for a couple of weeks. That's, you know, that's what I did. I think it's awesome, best, man. Yeah. You want to know the best thing? I, the guy faxed me a letter, the president of discovery networks, the guy named Billy Campbell. <clears throat> and, uh, you want that guy ended up getting canned from discovery. And you remember like Sully, the guy that landed the plane on the Hudson oh, yeah. yeah. river. Remember the dipshit that opened the back door in the back of the plane and almost killed everybody? Yeah, yeah. It was that dude. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. No lie. Yeah. Oh Couldn't my god. That. You can't, can't make, make that, that up. up. If you're a dipshit, you're always yeah, a dipshit. Like, I mean, that's just. I mean, thank God for technology to keep some bitches like that alive, dude. Because back in the day, he'd been yeah, dead before you know, he got and started. It, it kind of comes down to like, I don't care what, how, what what's politically correct or marketable or whatever. You can't go over there and look those kids in the eye that are like, and tell them like, Oh, well, I don't support you. And that, and you know, and all they get is they get armed forces network and a little bit of Fox news and a little bit of CNN. That's all they get. So ASN, baby. <laughs> imagine waking up every morning and eating, you know, going to the PX and then you see a little bit of news while you're eating your breakfast and it just talks about how anti-war and then you got to go out and like perform all day in, you know, the countryside in Iraq and like you stay positive. And it's like, how could you not want to like shine some positive stuff on their day, you know? Well, I, we, we appreciate it. Trust yeah, me. I serious, know when I was over there, when my, you know, my first go around and my first trip to Afghanistan with team one and Oh two, not even a year after nine 11, you know, we were in Kandahar, there was nothing. And so any concept of USO or anything that people expressed that they, there was an interest and support and, and no matter what, man, it meant it was huge. It was absolutely huge because, you know, yeah, it's cool to uh, when you're over here and you you have your three minute news spot on CNN or whatever, and yeah, I support the troops. But man, you you got up and you did it and you came over. And what I love too is that you know I remember when you did that you know the show and and there was a high need for up armor vehicles and you did that yeah, cus- yeah. You, you did that hus- that custom Humvee and. Man, it just made those cats feel special and that their their craftsmanship and what they were doing was important. So I loved when you did that, yeah, man. Celebrities had the ability to drive the morale of the country. Yeah, it was good, man. It definitely it definitely changed my life. You know, I made some friends, like, you know, a couple of my special forces friends are the guys that are just, they're effing nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> I still talk to them, like, every couple of weeks, and they're just... Just, just some of the funnest times and funnest memories on some of the stuff I can't talk about that they showed me, but you know, it definitely, definitely changed my life. You know, I think for the better, you know, gave me a different perspective on things, hanging out with all those dudes and, and hanging out, you know, especially in like the hospital, you know, the, 
the field hospital in Balad and seeing, you know, all those doctor volunteers, all the stuff they go through and, you know, just like the, how great Americans are. Well, the, one of the cool things that I, I really dig about you is that at least from, you know, my perception is that you always talk about the soul of stuff, right? You always yeah. talk about the soul of craftsmanship, the soul of a gun, the soul of, you know, what's important in life. And it seems like that trip for you was a real kind of shift in, in what was soulful. And and is that why kind of you started moving away from what you were doing with, you know, West Coast Choppers and Monster Garage and, and what ultimately led you to come to Texas and start building firearms? Was that the, the starting point for that change? Well, I think, you know, it definitely... Uh, showed me a different side of discovery channel you know it's it show you know it kind of like and sh you know and i think that right about that time is when you know i started this whole reality tv thing <laughs> and now it's morphed into this crazy fake staged you know it's just it's it's not even it's called reality tv but it's, it's unbelievable what's well, yeah, morphed into I just, won't, I just won't do it you know i I was on the phone with agents last night and the networks are trying to negotiate to get me back, but I won't, I won't buckle, you know, I won't give in and do stupid fake stage stuff. It's just like, it doesn't teach people anything and it, it says more about me than it is, does anything else. And I think, you know, Iraq definitely changed that because, you know, I don't know. And I think, you know, as I'm, as I'm getting older, you know, before I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on TV and kick everybody's ass. And, and then as I'm getting older, you know, I've spent the last 10 years since Monster Garage just making myself more skilled and just burying myself into my craftsmanship and burying myself into learning blacksmithing and forging and gun being a gunsmith and all these things. And it's like, like if I'm going to do something, I, it should be something that showcases those skills because I think that's what people will get the most out of. And, For sure. You know, absolutely. I mean, and you, cause you have standards and I think your trans, your standards are obvious in what you build. They're obvious in the craftsmanship. They're obvious in, in, but what's it really interesting to me is the standards that you have in your entrepreneurialism, the standards you have, like you said, to, to not do, you know, obviously you could go out and do great biker build off 29 or, or a new, you know, uh, you know, instead of monster garage, killer garage or whatever, you know, whatever it is, to, yeah. but, but you don't, you don't change those standards. You hold true to them. Where did you learn that? Who instilled that in you? Man, it was from my dad. I think, you know, my dad was a slave driver when I was a kid you know, and I hated him then for it and still resent him now for it. But, you know, he taught me to do things right. You know, he had a, like a furniture restoration business and antique business. And he, you know, forced me to sand and strip and refinish furniture. And, you know, he, I'd strip and sand a whole top for like a roll top desk or a, a dining room table. And I could just remember him coming by and running his hand over it. And if he could feel any kind of trickle or flaw and it would like do it again don't half-ass it you know and i would just i remember i would like you know and you when you're like a and i was like 10 <laughs> you know it wasn't like i was a teenager you know i was a little kid and so for him to like kind of you know i didn't get it then but i'm thankful for it now because now it's like i see things that no one else sees and if it's not right i won't i won't think i won't continue you know i'll stop and redo it and but when your discipline's instilled in you or how it's instilled in you like my dad's the same way my dad was an outlaw he's a, on top of being a certified genius i mean like this guy was all time smartest guy i ever knew man but he he boy he would toss us a beating man for discipline problems and it was this exact same way he, he'd tell us to do something for instance you know how you get in shape for hole digging yeah. digging, digging a hole <laughs> Right, so I'd go out and dig a hole to fill it back in, and then whatever it was that attention to detail stuff, you know, yeah, he tell man. you to do something, and you go do it. And I, yeah. I said he's like he was ten years old. You know, now when you're younger than that, like you're four, my dad would literally sit there and tell me to do something that I didn't even understand the word in English yet. 
Yeah. <laughs> Try that up, size. You know, I was always older than what, what my dad always said I was older than what I was. God damn it, you're 20. I'm 12, but whatever, <laughs> man, whatever we need to get done, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know all about that. And I don't think my dad was like, you know, beatnik era from the 60s and late 60s, early 60s through the late 60s and 70s. And like, you know, he wasn't really cut out to have kids. And I think, I don't <laughs> think it was his goal to like, oh, I'm going to make this kid a badass worker and have great, you know, pride and work ethic. No, I just think it was like, hey, free labor. <laughs> you know? This is why I, I had think, you, boy. You know, just by default, I learned what I learned, you know? Oh, that's awesome. My dad always said he, he would just teach us what we needed to survive and to succeed, which is, uh, you know, he'd always say, I'm going to give you discipline every day of your life, and through that, you'll gain respect, respect for yourself and for other people. Only time you lose your, your respect is when you lose your discipline. Yeah. And he goes, I mean, that's it. And through, through all that discipline and everything we did, from what was chores to school to you name it. Becoming a SEAL. Sports, yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> if, once we started it, we had to finish it. Even if we didn't like yep. it, I mean, it was like, God, this might have been a bad idea. He goes, well, you should have thought more about it. I mean, you know, that was yeah. teach you to plan yeah. ahead. Yeah. To look past whatever yeah. that, that, two, that, that shining spot to well, what it takes well, to get so to So here's that. the question for you two, right? Here's the question, all right? So you have dads, right? And my dad was 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 similar too. You know, you you start something, you finish it, judge. right? And and the judge literally, and and all of a sudden now you're at ten or eleven, twelve, thirteen years old. You you don't get that. You don't get it long term. You can't you, you can't imagine yourself. All right, when I'm forty, man, I'm gonna be dialed in, or even at twenty five. But you you know something's happening to you. Now, as 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 you translate into fathers yourselves, you know, are you guys holding your children to the same level of accountability? With me, it's an evolution. So my father was an evolution of my granddad and the way he raised him. And he turned out the way he did. And now, because we're raised by the women, right? right? And then men just enforce their will. But I... Everything that I, I saw my dad did to me that gave me the feeling that I didn't like, you know, much was that uneasy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that we talked about last yeah, night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't put that on my kid, but the, the, the discipline and that he still gets that. And then raising him to, to enjoy what he wants. Like I don't force anything on him. Like he's, he just came home. He says he's ready to play baseball. So now it's time to start teaching him baseball. And I, I'm looking forward to that. See, I waited lo long enough. I knew myself well enough to not be married and I have kids until I got to that time. And I'm 40 now. So now it's one of the deals where all, everything I learned previously, I'm ready to dump into, into my kids. And then that's why I keep my teammates close because I, you know, I let them teach Please them smoke. stuff too. Yeah. And that was the same way with my dad. How about you, Jesse? I don't know. I think I'm a big softy. I have like a. I didn't want to say that on the damn radio, but if you're talking about it, my daughter's with me. Yes, sir. I'm I'm totally overcompensating. <laughs> Slingshot the other. Yeah. See, I tried to hold in the middle, man. I could have gone that way too, all the way down. Like you can have anything you want. I don't care. You can drive the car here. Here, keys right here, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, but but in reality, they're pretty good kids. I have my two younger daughters are. 12 and 14 and they're like they're awesome they are straight a students and do so good in school and just like super funny bright good girls so it's like as long as they get straight a's and don't get in trouble i don't really that's all I yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and you, it's you, funny, you imagine yeah. what all goes into making those two things happen that's where the rub comes well the interesting thing <laughs> yeah. is when you take a step back and you look at that if if in in by not, you know, they can become high performers. I've got two daughters, too, Jesse. They're a lot younger. They're three and, and six. But, you know, by just loving on them and, and, you know, teaching them that work ethic, teaching them that standard, teaching them, you know, to have soul and, and where they put their heart, you know, that comes yeah. out of it. That comes out of it. The question I got for you, you That's know. That's why you, you carry yourself, too. Right. Absolutely. Hands I mean, they, see, they that, see that. They see that. I mean, for ultimately, sure. the dad, you know, they see that, and then that, that really transfers a lot, too. For sure. For sure. And that self-respect and self-worth for, for young girls, too. So one of the things, though, the question is, Jesse, you, you've, you've obviously you, when, you know, in its heyday, I mean, I don't even know how many people you must have had working for you back in, <laughs> back in the day, but now it seems like you've. 200. You, uh, uh, that's crazy to me. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah. 200 people. In Long Beach, we had like seven buildings, a whole city block. 
Oh, my 200 God. employees. <laughs> it was not that much fun. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, and congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. But now you're back <laughs> to where I, I know your shop is small. You're more focused on what you're doing. And, and, and the question, though, I have is, you know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, that are young and they're trying to find their way in their own craftsmanship. They're trying to figure out, all right, how do, how do I get, you know, to a point where the work I'm producing is at the highest level. Like we get hit all the time from young kids wanting to become Navy SEALs. How do you teach? What are you teaching? It's, it's a great time to be a fabricator and learn those skills like welding and tube fab and all that stuff. And it's also a really terrible time because the internet, you know, when I first started in the early nineties, nobody taught it. You couldn't go. I, I had to like scratch and claw to get my skill set just to learn basic stuff, like to make a gassing. Now everything, there's a hundred YouTube videos. And then you get this false sense of, uh, fame or whatever it is with like, Oh yeah, all these, I made this thing and then I posted a picture of it and then everybody liked it. And then I must be good. Or, or that guy I saw on the internet, he gets a lot of so many likes and so many followers. So he's the best, you know? And I don't think it really lines up. It, it, the, the thing about being a craftsman and a fabricator and doing it, it's a hundred percent about you everything you do can't be for anybody else. It can't be for the customer. It can't be for, you know, it's gotta be for yourself. And then, you know, I, a great example is there's this guy that's a, a friend of mine. That's like trying, he's trying to work for me, but I don't think he has the skill set to do it. And especially wow. he doesn't have the mindset because he's a complainer. Every shop he works at, Oh, he complains about oh. this this guy sucks and I, this place doesn't appreciate me and stuff. And to really be great at what you do, all that has to be a race. You have to work as hard as you possibly can do the best job you possibly can, regardless of how much you're making, who you work for, or what do you, what you're doing? If you're going to put like a rev limiter on yourself because of any of those you know, circumstances, then you're never going to reach it. And so if you're, and if you're only doing it for some kind of internet thing or the exposure, then it's, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. It's just not, never going to cross over. You know, I see, I've had guys come and work for me that are like big internet followings and stuff. And one, they get stuff just enough done enough where they can take a picture of it. And then they post a picture and then, that's it. <laughs> what was that movie Gung Ho? Gung Ho when they make had to make all those cars and then by a certain time and they didn't have windows and they act like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 great wait. movie dude. <laughs> How about that pool? Yeah, right? yeah, you know, and it's Epic. like that's that's not the essence of it, you know. Like it's it's, and I think it comes down to just pure discipline. You have to be disciplined enough to do your job the way you're supposed to do it and how it should be done every time, no matter what any other circumstances are. And that's, that's the thing, the hardest thing to teach someone. And like talking with this friend of mine, you know, I was like, he's going to go, he's going to leave one job and go to another place. And I already know it's not going to work out because, uh, you know, he's looking for some magic trick or, or spell or the easy way out. The easy all way. All of a sudden going to make his, skill set good and that's just not there you got to find that yourself well what's interesting and we we see this as young guys come in to the program right we got an 80 percent dropout rate and these young whippersnappers and you know they were the badass in their football team or their you know joe jujitsu or they just think they're hard and they come in but they're not willing to be humble they're not willing to be disciplined and they're not willing to submit to the the greater context of what quality is and becoming a frogman. And you know, thankfully for us, that's because that, I call those guys. They want to be in the program, but they don't actually want to quote unquote be in the program. They want to <laughs> be in it just just to say they were in it. Oh yeah, we call it. Yeah, there's a difference between being a Navy SEAL and being a team guy. Not to actually. I'm going to go there and make a difference and really play a part in this team and, you know, 
teach myself some things and work as hard as possible. No, they want, they just want the glory of being in it and being able to say they were in it, but without the discipline and hard work part. First of all, I like to go back to the whole, somebody complaining about working in a, in, in a garage with you. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's a good, here's a good example of how that played out. My two best friends in high, I was, I was, a, I played football for 14 years and was like parade all American in high school and all this stuff. And so by the, my two best friends were seniors and I was a junior. Well, fuck, I was in the paper every week and like all kinds of college scouts and getting all this press and stuff when I was in high school. And my friends were like jealous. So their senior year, they signed up to play football. <laughs> like, oh, we're going to we're gonna play too. Very first day of pads, I clocked both of them, and both of them quit that day. <laughs> like, a little different than that video game, right? When your avatar is getting smoked. One of, one of them never talked to me after that, and the other one like never wants to mention it. Oh <laughs> man, that's the best. I'd talk about that all day long, man. Yeah, you know? there's, there's, it's true though, man. I mean, think about it. I mean, man, uh, you, you, you got to figure at some point there are mentors along the way that aren't teaching them that stuff. So, you know, Jesse, I, we want to know who were the big mentors as you were going along? Now, obviously, your father put, gave you the work ethic, the discipline, all that. But, you, you know, who are the mentors in your life that really played that role saying, hey, kid, you got to work your butt off in order to get to this spot? Well, I think early on, you know, my dad was he was the older and like the work part was there, but everything else, like when it wasn't football season, I was always getting arrested and in jail and, you know, in trouble. Cause I, the discipline was gone and my football coaches kind of provided the discipline in my life. And the, the first one, you know, I thought they were the devil, but you know, I came to realize later on that, man, I love them. And I love the stuff that they gave me. And the, mm. there's one guy named Gil Lake when I was about, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, this guy, and he's like a legend out in Riverside, California. You know, he, he just, you know, the guy didn't let me get away with anything. And then I, you know, and I think later on is I kind of, it sounds kind of weird, but when I did security for bands and stuff, when I, I worked for Rick Rubin and I traveled on the road in the late eighties, early nineties with a bunch of metal bands and, I bet that was uh, awesome. I, toured, I did all the I did all the security for Danzig yeah. for like five <laughs> or six years, and I was like nineteen, twenty years old. And Glenn, you know, he was probably in his thirties then, and and I really looked up to him and looked at up, you know, and really got to know him. And I'm still friends with him today. And he's someone that like I came of age traveling around the world with rock bands and this guy was someone that, you know, that I looked up to and also like Chris Cornell and, and Matt from Soundgarden, those guys, I did their first world tour and I'm still friends with them. And it's like, you know, sounds sound kind of odd and funny, but you know, well, great musicians kill themselves. I mean, they crush themselves. They're scheduled, they're playing. I mean, to, to get great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think Glenn's perspective that guy was a rock star since he was 15 in the Misfits. Wow. And so he's been, he's seen it all and done it all. And he's, you know, his kind of perspective on life and people and friends is pretty spot on. You know, it's a little callous at times, but it kind of taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. I mean, I definitely learned a lot about marketing and about protecting your brands and, and stuff like that from him, which I think. And then, you know, and then after that, I went to work. I worked for Hot Rods by Boyd. Awesome. Worked at the Hot Rod sh shop there for a couple of years. And, you know, metal fabricators and guys that I've met along the way have had a lot of influence, you know. And it's just, I'm like a sponge, man. Like, anybody that I can, like, absorb from and learn from. And there's – I have so many friends, guys that are, you know, hell's angels that I grew up with that, like – you know, and like my best friend from Germany, you know, I just, I can't, there's, you guys probably have this too. There's certain friends, like I can't talk to them enough. Yeah. Like absolutely. I, I have like genuine love for them and they tickle my brain on such a, like I'm, you know, we're right on the same level and we just talk about politics or life or philosophy or cars or whatever. 
And it just seems like, you know, my friend Miley in Germany, you know, we're just like that, you know, like I, I can't ever see him enough. Even though he's on the no fly list right now, he can't he can't come over here. But <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that'll change when Obama gets. Yeah, out. exactly. Well, what, what, what? well, I have the same thing with my friends. You know, the way we we describe it is is they have a strength that covers down on one of my weaknesses. No matter how far along they're we're apart, and if they or if we're together every day, it's just a, we've been together so long and, and you know how they move, you know, they're all their skeletons, no matter what paths we've taken in each other's lives, man, we always come back to the center and there's no head guy. There's no, it doesn't matter if, if I'm in the public spotlight and a lot of people know me and, and they don't know who my friends are. When, when all the friends are together, man, we, we're, it's one circle. Everyone leads everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes with maturity, you know, as you get, smarter as you get older, then you find out what's the more important things in life, you know? And I think me moving when I, right before I turned 40 to Texas and then like, okay, I'm here all alone. I don't really have any friends here. And then now who's, who stands out as your real friend and someone that'll make an effort to stay in touch or to see you. And, you know, it's kind of like, it was kind of good because I had a whole group of friends that were my long beach shop friends that only came you know, they'd come by and see me, but only to grab free stuff or get their <laughs> on. And, you know, and I don't mind. I'll do anything I want for my friends. Like, I have, let me count, one, two, three, four, five different friends that I built bikes for. And five out of five sold the bikes I built. Them. No, no, yeah. oh, no. So, you know, and I, I take that personal because, like, I think I'm having that friend evaluation. <laughs> Yeah, I've got stuff from them, and I would never sell it. I, w- I don't care how chips were down, you know? And, like, I need money, too, you know? I have bills and taxes just like everybody else, and it's like, they just look at it, oh, yeah, I'm going to cash in, you know? And it's like, that kind of bums me out, you Yeah, know? that would drive me b- bonkers, man. I, I couldn't do not that. not insinuating anything, brother, but if you ever did build me a bike, I would keep it. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> that's that's the kind of friend deal. I am, bro. I just want to I just want to throw that out. I you mean, missed what he said, though. Right. Tell, what, tell what him, Jesse, what you said. You, you better sign yeah. some more no, books. But that's a, you know, <laughs> and not, that's right? an extreme example, but everybody goes through that kind of stuff as they get older. You know, you found out, find out who's with you, who's not with you. And it's like, I work so much, man. I'm hard to be friends with. And, you know, because I work seven days a week, 10 hour days, you know, steady, like, like clockwork. And it's so, you know, someone wants to be my friend. They have to realize that and they have to respect that. And, you know, I I think it's hard because, you know, I don't go hang out on a Tuesday night. I'm usually so tired. I go, I'm in nine o'clock. The TV's watching me. (laughs) I love when it. we do hang out or we do some fun stuff, it's awesome. What? what are hey, you, I got, you know what, man? I, you said that perfect, and I, I got the best piece of advice. I'm not even going to name drop because this guy is awesome, man. Kurt Russell, I, I got a chance to meet him finally, and he, he gave yeah. me a piece of advice, and he said he, – he actually sat me down. No one ever did this to me. Sat me down and asked me how I was doing being famous. And he goes, uh, he goes, look, he goes, you lose any friends yet? And I was like, well, matter of fact – he goes, well, that'll happen. He's like, the friends that you do have, what they've understood is that not some of them get upset that they don't want it's sharing you with everybody else. Now you have multiple people who know you, who want to be in contact with you. And on top of everything you're doing to be successful, to be genuine about it, they have to understand that. Right. And uh, I, man, I just sat there and listened to that guy and he was just like, you know, live your life. And yeah. you are a good friend, man, but, but we it's they call it OCD when you're out. It's called squared away in the military. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But when you're on point and you're focused in and doing your job, man, no matter how long there's no there's 24 hours in most people day in in their day. In ours, it's just it's it's not. It it's never stops. Right. It's when we're done. And those and the friends of ours that that can work in and out of that circle and understand that that's how that's how you grow and evolve together. And and just like that experience, you get that experience because you pay attention through life, and your friends yeah. help you do that. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Well, one of the, one of the cool, one of the last things I want to talk about with you before we get into the after action stuff is is you know now what I love is you made this great shift again, and and I love how you reinvent yourself based on 
you know, where your, where your heart is and where your mind is and where you want to challenge yourself. And, and, and I think a, a lot of people are, are, you know, curious to to think, all right, well, why guns? Why did you pick guns? Uh, you know, and I know you still do a bunch of other stuff. You still, you know, are, are building all kinds. You're, I mean, your, your tastes are across a lot of different, uh, formats, but, what what was the thing about guns that inspired you to start, you know, your firearms company? Uh, I don't know. It's like a Catholic schoolgirl, <laughs> you know, how they're in a Catholic <laughs> school and they're not allowed to have boys around. So once they get out of that school, they're like total sluts. <laughs> That's like me. That's like me from California. You know, I wasn't allowed to have anything. And uh, like, Texas I is awesome. Isn't it? The first gun store here, like, 10 years ago, I'm like, oh my God, am I allowed to be in here? Like, I thought it was illegal, you know, like, and so I instantly, you know, set up a trust and started buying machine guns and buying everything I could get my hands on. And once I got everything that was cool, then I started dicking around with them and like, oh, I could do this better. Or I could make that. And then I went to SHOT Show, like, I don't know, five years ago or six years ago. And I was kind of walking around and there's a little bit of cool stuff, but two things happened. One, I was walking around and they're like, everything was like zombie green and the stupid, <laughs> and the stupid like biohazard logo, like on ARs and stuff. And I was like, really? That's what you guys are doing. That's the best you got. Weak. And two, at least 300 people walked up to me like, dude, when do your guns come out? Finally, you're here. We knew you would come. Like, we've been waiting for you. Where's your booth at? And I was just there. I just happened to be in Vegas, and I was just walking around. So it, like, made me feel like, wow, this is where I belong. So I built, I just bought a, a crappy used-up Kimber off a of Texas gun trader and met the dude off of I-35 in the Target parking lot and bought it for 600 bucks face-to-face. And I took it apart and welded up and machined the slide and machined my own grips and finished and had everything engraved and learned how to do a trigger job and everything. And like a friend of mine, that's a Kuwaiti prince contacted me and he's like, Hey, I want three of those. I'm like, man, they would be like, you know, 15, 20 grand a piece. He's like, I'll take them. I'm like, Oh, wait. <laughs> I guess I'm in the gun business now. <laughs> How awesome is that? You had a following in something that you didn't even have a career path in or career in, right? Yeah, but but I think it's like that's epic. It's it. You know, all we want in life is to make a difference. Amen. You know, if you didn't think this podcast was reaching out to people and making a difference, we wouldn't and, do it. And was needed and something that people love. You wouldn't want to do it. You know, and I think the gun industry. Like, it feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Bikes are cool, but bikes are kind of effing off, you know? I don't care how nice the bike I build is, you know, and how much it costs. They're still in the same category as jet skis, <laughs> you know, quads, boats. They're the, when chips are down, that's the first thing that goes on Craigslist. Guns are very personal, and it's like giving up an organ. People do not give them up. I love it. You know? And, and I think it's like, man, it's like a higher calling. I think, you know, working on some of the stuff we're working on for military and stuff that I have in my head, it just seems like, wow, if I can make a better mousetrap, something that will protect guys and make them invisible and no heat signature and completely invisible at night. If I could do that, then they would be better equipped, you know? And it's like my mind will just keep thinking about stuff like that. And it's it's like... You know, a bike, I can make it bigger, shinier, faster. I can put, just keep dumping more and more labor and intricacies in it, but it's still just a bike. You know, a gun is like, you know, as you guys know, like that purpose. That's, that's what's between you and death. And it, you know, it actually you know? takes somebody like an, an outside the box thinker and an artist, somebody like it. you who, 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 who gets into it. Thinking that exact same thing, I'm gonna make these soldiers invisible. I'm gonna make this weapon fire with, with precision, where only the only the eye has to. Just people who think like that, and, they let, and their body can make it catch up. We were talking about this the other day, we man. Were. As soon as your body can catch up with your mind, you mastered it. And then you, my yeah, friend, and it's you, like I don't know anything about guns, so I don't know that I can't do it. So <laughs> I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> so you have to learn from the bottom, right? You start at the bottom. <laughs> 
guys keep offering to me to come to these like tactical training courses. And I'm like, Oh, you mean like run around and shit? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I shoot from a picnic bench on my range. <laughs> Why do we have to run if we have a gun? I don't yeah. even want to stand up and shoot. Yeah, that was my own philosophy too. I'm like, why would I run? I have a gun. <laughs> this, bu- this bullet goes this a lot faster than I do. Yeah, we had all the FBI gunsmiths here last week from Quantico. Because uh, Dave, the gunsmith that I work with in my shop here at the house, he was the lead gunsmith at Quantico for like 10 years. Very and cool. so him and I built all the pistols together. But all his friends came. They were they were down. To, they were going around to all the bureaus and rebuilding M4s. So I let it made me feel pretty good because I let him shoot one of our like our our 308 ARs, the Nomad 10 with yeah. the tool steel upper that's all hand lapped in. And I love that thing. Know, I could. I could these guys are gunsmiths and I could see a little bit of the pessimism when I handed them the rifle, you know, they looked at it and then to see him walk back up in the range and they're all like giddy, like, Oh my God, this is the best AR I've ever shot in my life. You know? And That's they just cool. got done shooting ARs for like two weeks, repairing thousands of them. We were talking about the most cumbersome thing we have. We don't, we have a lot of them. We don't really utilize what we do. And Ramadi, we did it, are our rocket systems, right? Like the Gustav and the lot. Yeah. I mean, the, the the RPG. Say what you want to about it, man. They can move around. That's my favorite I, thing I, to yeah, teach. Exactly. That's my favorite thing to shoot. Find one of those on the ground. You grabbed it, right? Amen. I mean, why? I'm waiting for somebody to invent a rocket system for us that we can literally post up and go to work with, man. Like they well, have. I mean, that's. I think that's Jesse. He, he's calling on you, bud. I think Marcus just tapped yeah, man, you. The first thing I'll say, I was like, man, you could build something badass. That, that, I'll put it on my to-do list. We just did some uh, little super shorty like pocket grenade launchers for Atlanta SWAT because they're having so many barricade suspects. Yep. So that's what made me think of it. threes. muzzle blast grenade launcher so you just pop a hole in drywall and then shoot it into like a closet and get the guys to come out with like CS gas. Yep. <laughs> I love that. So, Ryan, it, it, unless I'm, breath- unless yeah. I'm breathing it in, I love CS gas. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, well Jesse, I, you know, I, I, you know, it's really cool to talk to you because I think you bring a perspective for people on the never quit mindset to say, hey, you know, from day one, I was going to hold myself to a higher standard and, and everything that I do. And, and but I'm not going to be afraid to to change my focus based on my passions and what my purpose in life. And, you know, from going to Iraq and shifting, moving to Texas to, to becoming a, 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 a you know, a, a master craftsman and gun building, man, it's really, it's really awesome to hear all that. And, and man, it's just been, it's been awesome to have, have you on, you know, so thank yeah, you. Thanks, yeah, thanks I, for having me. Guys. You guys got to come up here and check out the shop sometime. We we'd love to. We 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 would absolutely yeah, love I, to. Man, I get to Austin all the time, so I'll uh, I'll hit you up and let you know when yeah, I'm in, yeah. in your town. Well, cool. All right. No problem. Have a good day, guys. You too. Yeah, bro. Thanks, Take man. Take care. Bye. I'll catch you later. What? He's cool. I mean. <laughs> I said that yesterday. <laughs> I mean, he's, right, you know, yeah. you, you see him in interviews and you're like, oh, he's cool. But then he he really is cool, isn't he? Man, you and I have been around a lot of people in our lives, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great people, right? Yeah. And the way they, it's what they've done that you know about. Then you get a chance to meet them and talk to them. And everybody can deliver, they deliver it differently, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and once you kind of, you because we always know, that's the, the thing about social media and everything we have today. I mean, we know a lot of stuff about people, but we don't really know anything. About who they are and what what drives right, them, right? What's yeah, it. the and purpose. That's the great part yeah. about this this too, man. I didn't, I didn't think about it like that, but man, when you peeking behind the curtain and seeing that and seeing how his mind works and how he's step by step, and to have a cojones, man, to you know throw everything down and come back out here and, and start over in something that that uh, he want a passion he wanted to chase. Well, I that's love, how you know it's ingrained in his head. Well, he he knows. I mean, I know what I'm capable of. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. I'm, well, I'm, I love the way he talked about the fact that you know the the end user of his creation, right? And 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 what was really fascinating to me, combined with that, was the humility, his ability to have produced some of the coolest bikes, the greatest bikes, you know, in the last tw- certainly last forty years. 
And all of a sudden now he's just like, you know, a bike is just a bike. It's in the same realm of jet skis or, or if, and I, he hurt, I'm listening. I'm like, and then his story about his buddies and the bikes, that's a whole nother story, but, but, God. but, you know, <laughs> God. but it's really, it's, it's the end user, man. He knows when he builds a firearm now, a person's going to love that gun and, and, and potentially now yes, these James firearm, you know, and now the potentially now work to carry it. To carry your gun, right. <laughs> huh? Huh? you you put your 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 you put your nineteen elevens on your on your risers right up in front of you. Arnold did it in the Terminator, or did no? He didn't have it mounted, did he? Or did he just have, did he the have shot? it on there? No, he was just driving the fat boy, and he no, pulled out on the side. Remember, because he wicked and he he, and he, he did. Uh, I didn't have that mounted on the side. We're watching. We're watching Terminator uh, tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back to the point. Jesse James, I really, he, you blew me away, brother. I love how passionate you are about staying true to what you believe in, what you're faithful in, and the fact that, you know, when you see something you want to do, you're, he's, he's going to go out and do it. And that's a great lesson for everybody. We've been talking about how uh, if you can think of something in your mind and once your body figures out how to do it and, and match that, that's Mastery. The, mastering the part of, and he keeps doing that and whatever and, and shifting that a lot of people get they figure out their mind gets that, right yeah exactly um man that's 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 good stuff it's good stuff yeah, that's good stuff well we're, we're super fired up that you you came on and and you're and you listen to jesse james and we we certainly hope you're going to take a lot away be sure to check out jesse's after actions report he gives us some more some more pearls of wisdom on how he employs his never quit mindset into his daily life. And you can find the after actions report at our website at www.tnqpodcast.com. One thing we want to share with you, listen, if you really are enjoying the show and we, we love having you, we feel very blessed that you're listening, go out and tell your friends. But if you want to have us on demand, all you got to do is go to your smartphone, pull up your iTunes app, Search Team Never Quit Podcast, subscribe, and you will have us on demand. It's as simple as that. You can listen to us in the morning on your drive to work or afternoon or when you're driving on your brand new uh, mower around your property like Marcus does. Although I'm pretty sure you don't listen to my voice in your head on a rep. <laughs> it's always in there. It is always, always in there, in unfortunately. There. Uh, so we, you know, check it, check us out on iTunes podcast and share with your friends. Visit the website. We're really appreciative of all that you do. So, Marcus, who are you thankful for and and to and 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 what you're doing? And when people come on the show and they talk to us, and, and when they really get into it, the cool part about it is you can like to hear in their voice when they're describing a time in their life when they go to it. Totally. Right, you're talking to that person at that time in their life. Transformation, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Obviously. Thank the good Lord for giving me all my abilities and my friends for helping me find them and for everybody for coming on here and listening to us and letting us do this. And Melanie, baby, thank you. I know she's out, she's out visiting the boy. The boy. He's off at the university. Doing getting, his thing. Getting learned. Getting learned up yeah, over yeah, there. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we got this place to ourselves. Holy cow. Wow. It's on. And then it's football. Football's on a night. Yeah. But, um, babe, I, I love you and, and that's it. And I want to thank... Again, God, I want to thank my family. I want to thank Wizard for all that you do for us. I want to thank Marcus. I want to thank Jesse. I want to thank all the people that are out there listening. And I want to thank you because guess what? It's it's our mission to help inspire you to get out there and approach the never quit mindset, to bring it on board, to listen to these great stories, to have that ignite your soul in order to chase down your dreams, figure out your purpose, to not you know, to stand up for your beliefs and live truly with the never quit mindset. So thank you. I'm out. I'm out. Never quit. Team Never Quit. Team Never Quit Radio.